You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome to another Lozano Smith podcast. I'm your host, Sloan Simmons, out of the Sacramento office. Um, one of the co-practice group leaders in litigation and also one of the more frequent hosts for our podcast. I'm really lucky to be joined today by Megan Macy and Courtney DeGroof, also from the Sacramento office. Uh, Megan is one of our, is our office managing partner, an expert in charters and labor, you just name it, facilities, business, the list goes on and on. And Mr. Groof, who is one of our, our really good charter attorneys and experts and also works in labor and employment and other areas too. But we are here today following up a podcast we did earlier this summer with Ed Sklar and Aaron Haymore about developments in the charter school world. And one of the things they did, Courtney and Megan, during that podcast was give us a preview of some of the pending appeals that were upcoming before the State Board of Education under some new frameworks and structures. So one, let me say welcome. Thank you, Sloan. We are so excited to be here. <laughs> don't be, don't, don't give me faux enjoyment, Megan. Courtney? Thank you, Sloan. Happy to be here for my first and hopefully not last podcast. This is your, this is incredible that we've come this far without Courtney being here. It's well, amazing. Yes, this is the first of many. We may even start our own Courtney the Groove series on podcasts. But so let's connect the dots between Ed and Aaron's discussion earlier this summer, which was about the appeal process that was coming out of the post AB 1505 implementation. So let's, can you guys give an overview of what AB 1505 did in terms of how it interacts with now appeals that we're starting to see go to the State Board of Education in the charter world? Yeah, so I'm sure Ed and and Aaron spoke a lot about all the various changes. A big one was the appeal process. Um, I'd say two significant changes are First and foremost, the State Board of Education is no longer going to be authorizing charter schools, so that significantly impacts the appeal process, which we'll talk about what that looks like. Um, Instead, should they approve a charter petition, they will designate in consultation with the charter school, either the County Board of Education or the school district that denied it. And then number two, which we got to see in these um, three appeals, is The Advisory Committee on Charter Schools now plays a role. Um, The meeting before the State Board of Education meeting, they essentially make a recommendation to the State Board of Education to either hear the appeal or there is this option to summarily deny appeal of the charter petition. And that is different from the prior process in which way? In that the Advisory Commission Committee, excuse me, on Charter Schools didn't make this formal recommendation at the board meeting. So this whole summarily deny process, one, that's new. And then the recommendation, a formal recommendation, I should say, from the committee is um, new as well. Yeah. And I think the other thing just to really hit home is this, you know, idea that the state board really is out of the business of authorizing charter schools now. And so when we think about the appeal process and as we saw the appeal process play out in three uh, recent instances, the you know their approach and their standard um, of review is very different than what it used to be. So let's talk about that the standard of review approach and how that's new under one five oh five. So under fifteen oh five, 
previously there was a de novo review, which is what we see, you know, currently at the county level, and then it also was at the state board of education yeah. level. For those that don't know, de novo in essence, it all like fresh anew with, with fresh eyes, as if no decision had been reached before. Exactly. Okay. Um, sort of looking at the petition whole, should it be, you know, granted under the law. Um, now there is an abuse of discretion standard, which is a much higher standard. Essentially, they're looking at the lower decisions, i.e. The, the school district and the county board, and determining whether either or um, abuse their discretion in denying the petition um, because they, again, are no longer going to be an authorizing authority. Um, the standard has changed with that process. So much harder now for a charter petitioner who has been denied establishment of a charter below to get that reversed by the state board? I'd say, I mean, yeah, we saw three, two of which went one way and one which went the other way. So I do think it's a much higher and harder standard um, and, and interesting to see how this will play out depending on the facts. So you say there were three, and as I understand it, one in July and then two more in September. Why don't we walk through um, in whatever order you guys think is most helpful to our listeners, each of those those three LEAs who are in the mix with an appeal going up and how that plays out. One, procedurally, like how does it work? Do, do Does someone appear on behalf of the LEA before the state board? Do they get notice? Do both sides submit things? How does it work logistically if you're a school district in one of these or a county in one of these appeal processes? Yeah, and, and I'll really let Courtney kind of dive into um, the, the process part of it because she had the opportunity to really work um, work through that process uh, on behalf of one of these LEAs. But from a, a 30,000 foot level, one of the things that, that I think we really learned through this process and as we walk through these different examples is how the state board is going to treat um, both procedural issues and also some of the substantive legal issues. And this was really kind of our, our first opportunity to walk through those items. And so Courtney, do you want to share maybe a little bit on the, uh, the process side of things? And I, I think the first of those is kind of a good starting place. Yeah. So when we have a school district who denies a petition, you know, there's the process to appeal to the account, the county board of education. If the county denies, then the charter school has another opportunity to appeal to the state board of education. That must happen within 30 days. And they essentially submit appeal documents, um, you know, this can vary depending on what those appeal documents look. I would say for these three instances, they were pretty lengthy appeal documents. Um, you also are required to request the documentary record from the LEAs that denied it. So there's this whole sort of appeal process with your legal arguments and all the documentary record, which would include transcripts, oral or written of the public hearings, at the, which the board meetings denied. So there's sort of a lot of legwork that goes in up front. There's an opportunity for the LEAs to prepare written oppositions. Again, a lengthy process. It's almost similar like in a, a, a court proceeding, essentially. You're writing your briefing, in essence, making your legal arguments as to why there was not an abuse of discretion. Then there's the next step is the advisory committee on charter schools meeting, which happens typically the month before the State Board of Education meeting. And there you have somebody typically that will be out there on behalf of the charter schools to essentially provide a presentation to the to the ACCS, that's the acronym for the Advisory Committee on Charter Schools. Now, is that meeting a public meeting that folks can attend and or watch online? Yep, public meeting, Brown Act applies, um, similar to like the State Board of Education meeting. And what you say the charter petitioner is there to state their position to the committee. Does the LEA also get the opportunity to state their position 
at that meeting? Both LEAs and what we saw for these three is essentially the uh, petitioner had 10 minutes and then the LEAs had a combined 10 minutes and they were free to split that however they would like. On one of the instances, we saw that the county um, sort of deferred to the district for the whole 10 minutes and the other two, we sort of saw a split opportunity to essentially you know, plead your case, if, if you will, um, to the committee. Now, you mentioned the ability now under the, the new structure for the committee to recommend summary denial, did that result in any of these three um, instances of appeals over the past several months? Yeah, so, and I should take one quick step back. The CDE will make a recommendation in advance of the ACCS meeting, um, and then the ACCS will you know, make a recommendation here for two of the instances. They recommended that the matters be heard before the State Board of Education, and then in one of the instances, they decided that there was enough, you know, based on the documentary record to recommend that the State Board of Education essentially summarily deny review, um, which means they would take action to just deny review and not hold a public hearing and you know, go through all the motions of a full review of the appeal. And that happened to be the one that you were involved in, correct? Sure was. Megan yeah. and I were both very intimately involved in that one. So when, when the committee decides to recommend some summary denial is there still a proceeding before the state board after that how does that so walk me through how that works if the committee recommends summarily denying it yeah in in this case uh the state board decided to take up the recommendation to summarily deny and whether or not and determine whether or not they would summarily deny had they determined that they were going to hear the matter it would have been put on at a subsequent board meeting oh okay so we have three different appeals, which I assume weren't all about the same issue, and maybe I'm assuming incorrectly, but can you walk through kind of how each of those three appeals played out, and maybe let's start with the one, Courtney, that you and Megan were involved with, in which there was a, a summary denial on. So the, the issue in this one was um, the fiscal impact basis of denial, which is under Education Code 47605, subdivision C8. And that is a new basis for denial under AB 1505. So this was a, a particularly interesting one. I mean, they're all interesting, but it dealt with fiscal impact um, and a reason to deny a charter petition due to whether or not the school district is in a position to absorb the fiscal impact of the proposed charter school. And so there's three ways in which a school district can satisfy that sort of, we're not in a position to absorb the fiscal impact. And the one at issue here was that the school district is under state receivership. Okay. There's two other bases um, that didn't come into play here. And, and honestly, we don't know how the, the State Board of Education would have decided if the facts were different. Now, with being under state receivership, it seems like pretty, you know, it's a, it's a you either are or are not in that box, do you guys see that as a particularly strong basis to deny and to, to receive ultimately a affirmation by the state board of your decision to deny a petition if you are in that circumstance? Does that seem like a strong basis for it? I mean, ultimately what the state board concluded uh, was the, you know, the position that both the school district and the county uh, board of education also reached, which is that you know, it is an is or it isn't uh, kind of standard when it comes to whether or not a school district is in state receivership. Um, and those facts were, were supported in this instance. And that was ultimately the conclusion that the state board reached. There was involvement at the state board level and in public comment from, uh, from FICMAT on that point. FICMAT being? 
Help me with the acronym. Fiscal Crisis Management Assistance Team. That's right. Which is itself an agency of the state, right, in terms of how they're structured, but they come in come in to assist districts who are in fiscal hard times, correct? That's correct. And and the other the other uh, point to note is that um, under forty seven six zero five subdivision C eight and and the and the related statutes, there is also a role of FICNAT when it comes to consultation on fiscal impact. Uh, with the county superintendent and uh, in determining whether there is a fiscal impact. The question of whether or not um, a, a district is in state receivership, however, just to kind of bring it back full circle, really is or it is a is or isn't kind of a question. And that is ultimately what the state board concluded. Okay, so we have a summary denial on that one on the basis of the fiscal situation going on for the underlying district, which the county board agreed with and ultimately the committee and the state board said yep that's enough appeal did not proceed forward what about the other two lea appeals that were at issue in the last several months so the first one that we saw back in july related to the underlying sort of procedural issues um ab 1505 added some language in terms of the public hearing at which a board will either you know grant or deny a petition in which petitioners are afforded equivalent time and procedures um, to respond to the staff report. Staff makes a, you know, a report or publishes a report. And so this language was sort of at issue in that case. Ultimately, where the State Board of Education landed was, and I should take a step back, the ACCS recommended that the State Board hear it. So they did a full on public hearing. There was an opportunity for petitioners to to essentially plead their case as well as the county and district in that matter and the state board landed that there was not an abuse of discretion which we discussed a little bit ago is a relatively high standard and there wasn't enough based on the facts there for them to overturn that dismissal is the gist of that concept being that you, you can't have some extensive district la report and give them a bunch of time to explain their position and then not give you know the other side the charter petitioner you know giving them five minutes to talk and saying, okay, CLOB, here's, we're going to make our decisions. That kind of what's at the core there. Yeah. It's sort of like a due process sort of, right. You have equal time to sort of plead your case and whatnot and just making sure it's fair. That came out of AB 1505 and a lot of local um, LEAs would implement that policy themselves, but this sort of codified that concept statewide so that it was uniform across the state. Okay. And what about our third LEA appeal? So that one dealt with a similar issue in terms of it's a new concept under AB 1505. It's this new basis to deny, which often is referred to as the community interest basis of denial, and which is under Education Code 47605, subdivision C7. And this is an interesting one, um, unlike the fiscal impact where we sort of have these three criteria in which a school district can either satisfy it or not. Um, community impact is much more of a subjective analysis and interestingly, the, the recommendation from the ACCS was for the State Board of Education to hear this appeal. And unlike the other two instances, um, the community impact interest here, the State Board of Education decided that there actually was uh, an abuse of discretion at the lower levels and overturned and essentially granted the, I shouldn't say essentially, they did grant the charter petition. So what happens? Well, one, two questions. Give me an example of the type of arguments or issues that are being raised when there is a debate over this community interest standard having been met. Yeah, so we're actually seeing a lot of you know school districts and counties 
play with this concept um, in their public hearings and their staff reports, there is a component of it, and there is some parameters under the statute. There is a fiscal impact component. It's different than the one in, in under 47605 subdivision C8 in, in terms of it's not you know specifically enumerated, but there is this fiscal impact concept which really derives from what's sort of the ADA implications, you know, on a school district, um, the loss of ADA, LCSF, LCFF, excuse me, funding, um, as well as what happens to the programs. If you have a charter school coming in and they have a somewhat similar duplicative program, um, that is a, another thing that people can consider, or I should say school districts can consider is, is this duplicative? Are you going to be taking away from the programs, the existing programs and resources? So um, it, it can... You know, the analysis looks a little bit different at each school district depending on their local community, but that's what we've been seeing statewide. So at the State Board of Education now out of the business of authorizing charters, what happens in a scenario like this where they grant an appeal? Yeah, so this is one of the more interesting parts of um, the, you know, the charter laws being reformed. There is an opportunity for um the state board to consult with the charter school in determining who the authorizer will ultimately be. And in this instance, um, they designated the, the county board as the authorizer. And the, the kind of interesting point about that is it's not, you know, at the discretion of the school district that initially denied or the county board that subsequently denied, assuming that's why we're up on appeal. It's really the kind of the consultation with the charter school itself as to who they'd like to be their authorizer. And so there is some uncertainty for the school district or the county board when they're when they're denying these, these petitions as to whether or not the charter school is going to land back in their laps. Are we able to say why the state board might in a given instance choose the county as the authorizer as opposed to the district? Or is that, that ultimately could come down to the consultation between the charter petitioner and the, and the state board? I think it's more likely to turn on what the, the charter school wants. I think that's why there's that in-consultation piece of it. Um, and I think there's reasons why a charter school might want the county to be their authorizer as opposed to a school district. Does that consultation occur behind closed doors or is it part of the, the open part of the appeal process itself? That's a great question that I, that I don't know the answer to, but kind of um, going back to the kinds of factors that might be looked at as to, you know, who ought to be the authorizer, I think, and I would hope that one of the things that is being considered is the capacity of either the county board or the capacity of the school district to stand in the shoes of being an authorizer and that they would have the resources to, you know, to really do that. So kind of an open question, but something that I hope that the state board will be considering. This has been a great talk. I want to wrap it up with a couple of maybe closing questions. One is, do, are we aware, of, are there more appeals in the pipeline now? Or is, is this something that we'll see because of kind of the time period of seeking to uh, have your petition approved that it's going to be more likely to be kind of a cyclical thing that we see every coming around every year around the summertime leading into the new school year? It's going to be very much dependent on just the pace that appeals come up based on the process that is happening below at the district level and at the county board level. Um, but I, I do think that there are going to be further appeals where we're going to learn more, particularly on the community interest standard 
and also um, the other prongs of the fiscal impact um, test that Courtney was speaking about earlier. So Courtney, with having gone through the appeal process successfully, uh, what are some takeaways that kind of come to mind for you as you look at this process going forward and as we learn more about how the factors under 1505 may be applied? I think that there is a lot of room for um, regulations in this area. One, we have some regulations pre-AB 1505 that are essentially void at this point and inconsistent with changes. But I think what we saw in a lot of discussion at the ACCS level, as well as, well as the State Board of Education level, is you know what does abuse of discretion mean? What is the State Board of Education going to be looking at? I think there are certainly areas, in particular the abuse of discretion standard, that they could easily come in and set up regulations that sort of can um, streamline the process a little bit more and there not be so much ambiguity as to what does that look like on appeal. Is there discussion of that occurring? Does, does 1505 itself call for the development of regs? Where are we on, on that? So 1505 doesn't call for the development of of regs. There were proposed regulations back in, I think, January of 2020, um, and ultimately those were pulled from, they were agendized and ultimately pulled. And so I am not aware of, you know, any further action on those, but that's not to say that now that we've seen these three appeals come through that we probably can anticipate some further movement at some point on those. And, and then, you know, the other side of this coin is, so what can authorizers, school districts and county boards of education do um, at the local level in order to learn from this experience. And I think that the, the timing is right now that we know more about the process pieces and how the ACCS and how the state board will be treating some of these issues and the procedural pieces in particular for those LEAs to go back, review their policies, potentially make updates to their policies that they may have adopted post AB 1505. And if they didn't adopt policies at that time, really consider doing so. So they'll be well positioned uh, moving forward. Hey, it turns out I was right. You guys are both terribly smart and engaging attorneys. Thank you for being here to talk about this today. Um, this is a great segue from the prior discussion of Ed and Aaron this last over the summer where we knew these were coming down the pipe. but. I had no idea at that time how they would turn out. So thank you both for making the time today. Um, it'll be more than worthwhile for our listeners to tune in to this Lozano Smith podcast. And if you don't want to miss an episode, sign up at lozanosmith.com forward slash podcast so that you don't miss any of these great discussions by folks like Megan and Courtney. And thanks for listening. Thanks for having us, Sloan. That was fun. Thank you. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard. Music